DTX equals where thought leaders in digital therapeutics put a stake in the ground on what makes DTX DTX. With me today is Tracy Dennis Tuwari from Arcade Therapeutics. She's the chief science officer there. Tracy, welcome. Thanks, Acacia. Great to be with you. You want to tell us in a couple sentences uh, a few words about Arcade before we get started? Sure. Um, we are uh, both science first and a game studio company. We translate neuroscience and cognitive therapies into game-based digital treatments for mental health. Awesome. Well, we're so excited to talk to you today about what makes DTX DTX for you. Um, before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, specifically, what's a formative event in your life or career that influenced your path into digital therapeutics? Well, uh, honestly, it was a deep sense of failure and frustration that um, that sort of came to a head. Me too. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're a psychologist <laughs> like I am. And, you know, I would, I had been, you know, I've been, I'm a clinical psychologist, but I went right into research and I sort of put my head down for those 20 years. And by the way, I defended my dissertation on 9-11. So 22 what? years ago, today we're recording, actually. Um, yes. And when I came and, and I was defending as the towers were falling and I had been living in New York City, I was defending outside. So it was a lot, right? So but I come out of my defense successfully. Thank goodness. I think they were probably easy on me. I think. Um, but everybody's <laughs> crying, right? At that, I mean, it's come like on. you got your congratulations. But we didn't know that the towers had fallen when we were in it. Anyway, that that emotional journey is there. But what I want, why I bring that up too, is because as a mental health professional, I, I entered that room and exited with a PhD into a completely new world, a world where mental health is at the forefront of our public health crises. And it really, you see that turning point powerfully starting, I believe, then. And so, you know, I, as a researcher specializing in, you know, in mental health, but really in anxiety and depression, you know, youth risk, you know, suicidality, all of these areas, I felt now here's my moment. I'm gonna put my head down. And for 20 years, I really just tried to do the work and I saw science advancing. I saw there were great treatments out there. And then, you know, I saw around 2010, uh, oh, wow, wait a second. We're, we're, we're getting these great treatments, but we're not getting them into people's hands. And now it's the digital mobile revolution. And I thought this is my moment, but then I actually sort of lifted my head up and looked around and saw, well, uh, there's tons of snake oil out there. This was the era of lumosity, remember, where, where everyone was, you know, claiming to be able to do all these things for people and really not. Um, this was an era where there was an app for that. That was, you know, we all might remember that catchphrase. But I saw that there was no science behind these tools. Meanwhile, I had been already doing five or six or seven years of research on digital native interventions, um, really focusing on cognitive approaches to reduce mental health problems like anxiety and depression, especially, but addiction also. And I thought this is the perfect marriage. And so I think it was seeing all the changes around me really at that moment with the mobile technology taking off, combined with looking around and realizing mental health was getting worse, you know, especially since 9-11, seeing that the great science we had wasn't reaching people, it wasn't translating. So I think there was that moment. And then, of course, I was pregnant with my second child and went on sabbatical and said, now I'm going to create an app. 
for that. <laughs> and that was the beginning of the journey in 2000, really around 2010. If you just made it 2011, we almost have the exact same story. <laughs> <laughs> is that true? <laughs> it is. No, I really, it was in 2011 and I was like, I made this crappy thing. I don't know. I, I don't know like how to actually make a digital intervention. Like it works when people use it, but nobody wants to use it. Like, could some entrepreneur help with this? <laughs> Oh my gosh, we have a lot more catching up to do on that. Yeah. Were you pregnant too? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I actually, uh, that came a year later, but I mean, I, I feel like we got most of the plot points. Uh, I think we're similar. right there. Yeah, tick, no, tick, I, tick. Yeah, actually, yeah, I think I, I got, I got in a little earlier from the perspective of trying to get a company out there amidst the snake oil to be like, but we're not right. Like much earlier before there were digital therapeutics and just being like, you know, let's, let's try and just like get stuff out there in a, you know, wild, wild west. Yeah. Let's see if we can distinguish ourselves as being science-based. It's really hard to do to consumers. It's hard to do to employers. But, and I wasn't sure how yeah, it mattered or if it yeah. mattered, you know, and, and honestly, what counts, you know, this was a fascinating, kind of a balancing act I was trying to figure out too, is what counts as science. Now, you know, you and I being trained in very rigorous clinical and randomized clinical trial kind of methodologies, you know, we have an idea of science, but that the speed of that science is not always conducive to the speed of technology. So how do we create science, like scientifically validated tools that we, that, that have the rigor and take the time of of good science, what I would think of as good science, but also can iterate quickly, can move at the speed of technology. And that's been the tension, I think, of my entire career in digital therapeutics. Definitely. So transition to kind of the meaty, uh, meatiest question here. Um, in your mind, like DTX equals what, right? Like we both got started at a time where there was no DTX whatsoever. It yeah. was just people throwing stuff in apps and like kind of seeing what happened. <laughs> at some point that started to become regulated. There started to become standards for evidence, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, at some point DTX came into existence. Um, for you, what's the most defining feature or issue of that that kind of makes DTX DTX? I think, you know, I think that entering the world of technology as a science, which is a world of engineers, which is a world of Silicon Valley that believes in moving fast and breaking things. Still, even though I think they've re realized that yep. that is not the great motto, best motto when it comes to people's health. But, you know, this is the world I entered. Um, and for me, what's always been front and center is this notion of, you know, we can't act as if if we build it, they will come, or if we build it, they should come. We have to focus when we build digital therapeutic tools. And again, I'm focusing on mental health, especially where we're meeting people where they are and we're understanding, deeply understanding the actual clinical and personal needs of the individual. So we are, you know, instead of having people fit to us because we built this amazing tool, we are fitting to them, not just to sell them something, but to actually engage in the process of healing and empowering people to heal. And so that has been, for me, this kind of turning the, the broad zeitgeist of technology on its head is really what DTX needs to be about. No, I think that's right. You know, we, we have at least one wave, if not two waves of digital therapeutic products that were... Um, funded by people from tech and kind of like taking this sort of approach of like, let's just make the MVP and get it out there. 
And we see, you know, um, as researchers, how a carefully controlled environment can keep people using a digital product that maybe they didn't want or need. But like when you put it out there in the world, if they didn't want or need it, they're not going to use it. And before you know it, your effect is zero, whether it works or not, it doesn't matter because people aren't interested. And so I think a couple we're seeing that like some, a lot of the early companies in DTX that were trying to just go fast, like catch up with pair. Let's go, 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 go. <laughs> yeah. You know, would just like skip the whole thing where you talk to users right. or like skip the whole part where you think about, you know, making it better several times before you put it on the market. Yeah. Or thinking, um, what is and they're seeing the downstream effects of that. A hundred percent. And also thinking about what is technology actually optimized for? Because just translating are you know great yeah. literature on say cognitive behavioral therapies or face to techniques that were developed face to face just making that digital is not really thinking deeply about what digital is optimized for i mean at arcade i think that's one strength that we really have because we started with digital native therapeutic techniques that we were just that was just being studied in the lab and that i've been studying and testing over and over and we realized okay we're starting with something that belongs on screens that was meant to be on screens and by the way, being on screens too much is not conducive to mental health. So maybe we should also focus on brief interventions or interventions that can really empower people to choose when and how they're using it. So our techniques, which are really focused on cognitive bias modification techniques, you're not meant to do it for more than a handful of minutes every day. And so, you know, so why are we just making all of our CBT tools, which by the way, are great tools, why are, why are we taking all of that with its barriers and burdens and time consuming and really honestly healing power of face-to-face -face for many people? Why are we assuming just translating that into digital will work? We have to think much more deeply about it. But you know, like, I don't know, like you probably did CBT like as a practicum student mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, learned like I did that when somebody comes in and you know, oh yeah, let's talk about this technique. Oh, let's assign some homework. Like, do they do the homework? <laughs> no, almost never. <laughs> yeah. They come back and they're like, what was the homework? I don't know. So like, why would we try to take something that yeah. the adherence in person with a yeah. person that stares you in the face every week struggles with? Yeah. and make it digital where there's less accountability and then not do something special to like change that form factor to address that. I feel like nobody talks that. about the fact that in CBT, people don't do it. It's very hard to get patients yeah. to do it. That it's is very so effective if they do it. <laughs> it's such a genius and important question. And in some ways, the digital space allows us to ask that more because in our world, CBT is the gold standard. But we know it only works for about half the people. And we know that people can't engage. And we know we can't even reach people with it because it's so expensive, so time consuming, so stigmatizing. And again, what requires digital... training, you know, oh my God. You know, specialists that know how to do it. Right. No. There's all kinds of issues. All kinds. And what digital, again, is optimized for is not just getting it to people and fitting into their lives, which is a real guiding star that we have, you know, North Star, but also destigmatizing. Because whatever's in your, my phone's right next to me, there it is, whatever's on that phone is going to feel more normal. It's going to feel like, you know what? And, and this is really part of the CBT and, and, and psychiatry and psychology baggage that comes into all digital mental health. We have this medical disease model that still informs so much of what we do in which when we have a mental health illness, we feel broken. And I believe that the time for that approach 
is actually coming to an end because I think it probably does more harm than good. And we can, that's a whole other podcast probably. But what digital is very good at is to start disrupting that mindset where now all of a sudden, like everything on our devices, I can gain tools, I can empower myself, I can personalize. And so for me, that's one of the biggest promises of digital, of digital mental health is to destigmatize the whole journey of pursuing a positive state of mental health. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, the other piece, too, is behavior change, right? Mm. So, like, if you go back to the fundamental problem with the one-on-one therapy relationship is I see you once a week, and then we discuss a behavior that you're going to do. But whether or not you do it, I will never know. Um, You know, they may not remember, right? There are all these barriers to behavior change that digital products are very well poised to address, right? If I teach you something and then over the week, you're supposed to do it three times to practice. I can't make that happen as a, as a person. Um, It's hard to do, but you know, digital is perfectly poised for that sort of more regular um, engagement in small behaviors that um, that make therapy more successful, right? It's the follow through between therapy that's successful. So I loved what you said about kind of leveraging what only digital can do. Um, Instead of just thinking about how can I take what a therapist is doing and try and copy it and put it in an app, which one, you're not going to do really. Um, And two, if you do it, um, you're you're, it's going to have all the same problems that therapy does, rather than solving some of those problems. Right. So we're just replicating the problems of the past right. hundred years. Exactly. And, and it's and like when you train like, AI with the biased AI oh, and it's like, go, okay, great. Now we're, we're still picking all the white people in the job interview. Because... And don't get me going about AI, which I actually have very high hopes for, but the, you know, the large language models right now and all these chatbots that we're throwing at vulnerable people suffering from mental health problems, I find it like, this is not, I know you need reams of data people, but one has to be very careful about these tools that have so many flaws and to really think that a chatbot can replace what a human does in terms of conversation. We should not be using chatbots that way as to be a fake person with fake empathy. Well, and we if it's use... trained by a person, it's got all the same flaws. The same the flaws person. and biases, but there's amazing, <laughs> but there's still now, but let me like also say there's amazing potential for chatbots as a way of giving people access to information, as a way, but but we shouldn't, again, I don't think that chatbots are optimized to be fake humans or to fake empathy. Why are we doing that? Why are we putting our energy there? That's not what I think the future of DTX is right now at this moment in time. I don't know. I think there, there's, a, there's a lot of, if you kind of go back into the wellness space, there are people that just talk to, like, remember Eliza? Like, people would actually talk to Eliza for a long time. And sure. Get a I don't sense know. Of companionship. Maybe. I'm just saying, I don't, I don't think chatbots are incapable of giving people a sense of companionship that might be needed in order to get them to change behavior. But I do no. hear very strongly, you know, what you're saying about the ethics of testing these things. Yeah. And I think at least when when I was at Twill, like a lot of what we thought about there is like, this needs to be part of a study. Like if we're going to yeah. test this, it's, we can't just like throw it at people. Yeah. It has to be something where like people consent and there are safety monitors and like all the kinds of things that you would yeah. do in an experimental context. Because one thing is for certain, there's no way you're going to get any way close to that without a data. Um, and if you're going to get data, you have to be really mindful of the fact that you have to be delivering valuable value to yeah. the people that, you know, are volunteering to test these things. Right. Um, and don't and start. You're keeping them safe. 
hundred percent. Exactly. And don't start with the most vulnerable populations. I've seen beta versions. Treatment resistant of, depression. Maybe. Um, yeah, Sounds like a great place to start. Of chatbots for su suicidal. Suicidality. I'm like, really? And I tested it out. I, I pretended to be a suicidal teenage boy who was very angry. And I broke the thing within 60 seconds where I was like, yeah. F you, I'm going to go kill myself. And the chatbot was like, I'm sorry you feel that way about To my, hear that? My, oh, yeah. gosh. Yeah. Oh, so I was like, no. I can break this in 30 seconds. You think that an actual yeah. suicidal teenager can't? Again, we have to make these choices where it's about we need to take the best that science has to offer, optimize for the best that technology has to offer, and meet people where they are and have science and responsible ethical guidelines be driving us every single step of the way. Word. So last question, um, in your wildest dreams, uh, and maybe these things are all intertwined, what is something DTX will be able to do in the future that it cannot do today? I think it's really a lot of what you were, were mentioning and what you and I were speaking about with this, this notion of how can we help people bridge, you know, if, if CBT is a mainline therapy that we're receiving, how do we actually synergistically boost those effects? Like, how do we adjunctively, you know, yes, standalone treatments, but what technology is good at? Because we've been very, we've become very used to living in a surveillance society for, <laughs> for worse and for better, or for worse. <laughs> what are you talking I mean, about? I'm one of those like Gen X DuckDuckGo users. So you can imagine, you know, my husband, you know, the, I, anyway, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but, um, but you know what, you know, Mental health is a multi-layered biopsychosocial set of problems. And when we, through technology, my dream would be that we could offer, you know, a, to, you know, a rich assessment with the best kind of, you know, psychometric tools that we have, give a person and a care provider a full multi, like a lemon, like a, not a lemon, well, that has multi-layers too, but like an onion-like approach <laughs> to like every layer of what this person is experiencing. And then have these informed clinical approaches that we can offer. And one should be like through the app. It should be through the, you know, through the screens, but it should also be, here's actually what we need to do to get you back interacting face-to-face -face with humans. And here's how you can iteratively actually check your own progress and start to own this journey of mental health and to know that it's not a destination, that it's this building of skills that it's this receiving of support. It's also giving back to others. It's not just always helping myself with self-support, but other support. And just having all of these, like having these platforms and these one-stop shops where a person can also understand that, you know, they have these tools at their disposal and where they don't, here's how you access them. And the mind body has to come together with those techniques that we offer people. So, so to combine that assessment with the empowered, like accessing of knowledge and then, of course, I mean, we need a healthcare system that works for people. So I can't, I mean, that, I don't know, I almost can't dream that big. But I know that technology can fill those gaps, like, you know, in mental health right now, primary care is the first line. That should not be the case. But if it is, we need to have technology be in that gap between assessment and either being immediately given a drug, which is not the best frontline treatment for most people, or waiting six months for a referral. And, you know, at Arcade, we really feel that gap in the healthcare system is another place that we can dream big and say, this is where technologies need to fill the gap, because that's not how mental health care should be given. 
I hear you on this assessment piece too, because, you know, I see, you know, lots of people trying to treat things and very few people trying to fill this gap of how do we even diagnose that a person is appropriate for this treatment or that treatment without somehow getting them to a doctor that may or may not know about digital solutions. So this, this gap for clinical decision support that actually might help um, get people to the right digital solution is yeah. huge. And to my uh, understanding, no one is pursuing that really in yeah. a way that like could be regulated, could yeah. be like actually a legitimate diagnostic yeah. method. Yeah. So that's huge. And then yeah. the second piece I'm hearing too, is the idea that ultimately it has to be all these things working together. It's not just yeah. like this one solution and that one solution. It's like people are probably going to be going to one place and they're like, mm-hmm. I don't know, my mental health is screwed up help. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I just feel bad. And then they want to be diagnosed and then sorted to the right thing. And that can't happen if there isn't some sort of, and like in this winter of digital therapeutics where there's not a lot of funding, it's kind of like, what's going to happen next? I think that we're going to start seeing places where like, we have to huddle together for warmth. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's what patients need. That is need, a beautiful but it's image. That's what, what they need. What yeah. the field needs, right? Yeah. So um Super, um, yeah, great insights from Tracy Dennis Tawari. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been DTX Equals. Um, join us again next time. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you, Acacia. Always love speaking with you.